I'm excited about our time and text this morning. Are you ready? Yes. Open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians chapter 3. We'll look at verses 1 through 7 this morning as Paul continues his exhortation to the church in every age, community, and country. And this morning, we're going to bump into one of the other Pauline practices that's very familiar to or frequent to his writings, much like we talked about some of the length of the sentences he has. Remember in chapter 2, it's the longest sentence in the Greek language found in any writing, secular or sacred, and that was attributed to the Apostle Paul. And this morning we're going to find one of Paul's famed parenthetical thoughts. In other words, he's going to start to say something, pause, and then go on for multiple verses, and then return to the subject. And in verse 1, he says, for this reason, and then he immediately breaks from that, doesn't return again until verse 14. Now, the for this reason, or what he is pointing to, is what we studied last week in chapter Two of verses 14 and 16, where we were told he himself is our peace, he being Jesus, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, the two being Jew and Gentiles, thus making peace that he might reconcile them both to who? God. To God in one body through the what? The cross. the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And last week we found the very timely title and reminder that was taken directly from our verses, remembering and noting that in Christ there is no ethnicity. Amen. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is no social status. There is neither slave nor free. And... While there are two genders, they are one in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. And therefore, Paul introduces as the one new man, meaning a new race of people, so to speak, created in Christ Jesus. Now, we leveled the playing field, so to speak, of all of humanity with three observations. The first being this. Since we all have the same sin problem, since we all have the same sin problem, yes. we all require the same solution. Yes. Doesn't matter your status in life, you need Jesus. Doesn't matter where you were born, you need Jesus. Doesn't matter what city you're in or live in, you need Jesus. Amen? Amen. Now we also found that there is no peace apart from God and only peace when you are in Him. And finally, we arrived at kind of our springboard for this morning. The church has the same calling in every community and country. Amen. Now, the first thing we need to remember from last Sunday is that there is no ethnic group of people who are born saved. Amen. The Jews need Jesus. Yes. The Jews need to be born again, just like the Gentile. There are not certain people who are predestined to be saved in the sense that it is taught by many today. Everyone who arrives in heaven, whether they're tribe, tongue, nation, and people of the two genders that make up mankind, have to choose that Jesus is their Savior and Lord and thereby be born again. It is only the born again that can have a peace that passes understanding. Why? Because Jesus guards their heart and Jesus guards their mind. Boy, do we need a guarded mind in these last days. Now, our last reminder was no more relevant 
than the others from last week, but it is definitely more timely. And that is there is no church anywhere in the world or at any time in church history that has a mission that is different than the one in the first century. Amen. No church is called to be social justice warriors. Where'd you go? No church is called to be social justice warriors. No church, say no church. No church is called to be politically correct. No church is called to adapt to cultural trends for the sake of unity with the world. Now, here's what the church is called to. Acts 2, 42 to 47, they, the church, continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, that's the fear of the Lord, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now, all who believed were together and had all things in common. They took care of each other. Yeah. Should we? Yes. And sold their possessions and goods. We talked a little about that last week. And divided them among all as anyone had need. So, continuing as it was convenient. No. Continuing when they had the time. Daily. No. Continuing daily. daily. Here's their attitude. With one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church, how often? Daily. Daily. Does that mean every Sunday? Nope. Daily, those who were what? Amen. Being saved. Listen, this is how the church started. This is how the church should end. Yes. And by the way, the church age is about to end. Yes. Jesus is coming for us yes. soon. Amen? Amen? Now, our title and topic this morning is based on the fact that Paul is revealing details about his own calling. Even the revelation about how he understood or came to understand that God was making one new man in Christ Jesus. It's also based, at least in part, and we'll talk about this more fully at the end of our time, the old adage, we've all heard it said, if you fail to plan, then you should plan to fail. Well, our title this morning is simply The Plan. The Plan. And obviously it's God's plan that we're looking at. And I was going to title our time, God's Plan for One New Man, but I didn't want to show off my rhyming skills too much this morning. So, Now, there may be elements within God's plan that are specific to every individual or each individual Christian, but this morning we're going to look at some of the generalities of the Christian faith and our calling that we all share as members of the one new body in Christ Jesus. Now, we already established what the church should look like in any age, but our time this morning is going to help us with one of the most frequently asked questions by Christians throughout the ages, and that is, what's God's plan for me? What does he want me to do? What has he called me to do? And we'll also uh, give a little aid to that question that is usually seconded or often seconded uh, from the first one, and that is, what are my gifts? How do I know what I'm supposed to do, and how do I use the gifts God has given me? Now, Paul is sharing the specifics of God's plan for his life, and we're going to use his calling as a springboard on how to recognize God's plan and calling for ours. Now, let me just say this as a bit of a disclaimer. We're not going to come away with, okay, you go over here, 
you drive over there, you move over here. That's not what our end result is going to be from our time this morning. But what we are gonna come away with is some indicators that we're searching properly and with the right understanding for the works God has prepared beforehand for us to walk in. Are there works for you to do for God? Yes. That's what he said, he saved you by grace through faith. Yep. And it's not of works, lest anyone should boast, but there are works prepared beforehand for all of us to walk in. So let's jump in and examine God's plan for one man, the new man in Christ, and find some help in discerning what he's planned for each of us as individuals. So let's start with and finish with Ephesians 3, 1 to 7. Stand and read them with me, please. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1 down to 7. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he has made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effecting work of his, working of his power. And Father, we pray this morning that your power would be manifested in us as we go out into the world and obey your command and directive to preach the gospel to every creature. Lord, I pray for an increased boldness in all who hear this morning and that we would, Father, understand more fully that you do want us to serve you. You do have specific things for us to do for you. Help us to learn how to discern what is for us and what is for others. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, I ran across a summary of verses 1 through 7 in one of the commentaries I read. And I have to say, I don't agree with many of the conclusions that this particular commentator comes up with. But I wanted to include this because we talked a little about this last week. You don't have to agree with everything everybody says for, for those who you're uh, fellowshipping with to be a Christian. Right? I mean, listen, you can be mid-trib and still go to heaven. You can be post-trib and still go to heaven. You have a very pleasant surprise awaiting you. But that's not how you determine whether or not someone is saved. You must be born again. And born again Christians have different interpretations of different issues. And there's a couple of things that this particular commentator uh, I completely disagree with uh, that is uh, an interpretive thing. But he still had something of value to say, and it's this. Listen to this this morning. And he's writing about... Uh, he's writing a summary conclusion of 1 to 7 of Ephesians 3. He says, and I quote, This invaluable paragraph has great relevance for us today. We too are stewards of the grace of God. We too listen to a or demonstrate to a lost world, listen to this, caught up in racial prejudice, we living in that now, yes. and narcissistic self-involvement, that Christ has not only saved us from our sins, but also brought us together to become a whole new humanity. There's the one new man. And finally, to find oneness with each other. In Christ, 
we belong to one another and can finally glory in what each of us can add to that one body when it truly achieves unity in Christ. This is the plan of God, and it can be achieved only in Him. And Paul is asking his early readers and us to become what he was, a servant of the gospel of peace and unity. Amen? Now, we're going to find our first element of searching for God's plan for us as an individual in verses 1 and 2. And Paul opens with his current status of being a prisoner in Christ. He's referring to his imprisonment in Rome from where he was writing this epistle and others, three others. And he immediately departs from that in verse 2 and begins that parenthetical thought. And that ends in verse 13 in the beginning of verse 14. He repeats, for this reason, or as I was saying. Now he mentions the dispensation of the grace of God given to him on their behalf. Now, the word dispensation, uh, the Greek word that's translated as dispensation, can also be translated as steward. And it is translated as steward in 1 Corinthians 4.1, where Paul says, Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ. Are we servants of the Lord? Yes. And stewards or caretakers of the mysteries of God. Now, Paul is saying here, for the purpose of God creating one new man in Christ Jesus, the grace of God was given to me for you. Now, Paul was a prisoner of Rome, yet he did not see himself as bound by the rulers of this world because he identifies himself not only here, but again in chapter 4, verse 1, and again in Philemon as a prisoner of the Lord. And thus his initial for this reason in verse 1 means, Paul is saying this, now listen close. For the reason of telling the Gentiles that in Christ there is one new man, I'm a prisoner. And since God gave me the grace and stewardship for this calling, I am his prisoner. Now, he wasn't a prisoner of Rome by any stretch. Those guards who were chained to him on either side, they were the prisoners. He had a captive audience, and he preached to them all day, every day. Now, this whole progression began back in Acts 22, 17 to 21, 22, that led up to Paul's imprisonment, where we're told, now it happened. When I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, that I was in a trance and saw him, Jesus, saying to me, Paul, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. So I said, Lord, they know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believe on you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by consenting to his death. Aren't you glad the blood of Jesus is big enough to cover all of our sins? And guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then he, Jesus, said to me, Paul, depart, for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. And the Jews listened to him until this word. And as soon as he said something about God wanting to save the Gentiles, they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he is not fit to live. Imagine that. Someone who wanted to kill someone else because they believed God wanted to save another group of people. 
This is how Paul's trip to Rome began. He appealed to Caesar as a Roman citizen, which he had every right to do, and so do we. We need to take advantage of our rights as American citizens and Christians. Amen. Our voices need to be heard. I'll remind you of something Ray Stedman, a pastor uh, from up in the San Francisco area from a previous generation. He said, Christians are the most important people on earth. Now, that wasn't braggadocious. He was talking about our message. We have the most important message that all of humanity needs to hear, and that's why the devil is trying to silence us. And listen, anybody that tells the church to shut up is serving the devil. Anybody that says the church shouldn't meet is serving the devil. God said my people need to get together. God said, listen, you don't just get together when it's convenient. You don't just get together when it's safe. You get together daily. You get together all the time and study my word together the apostolic doctrines and you break bread house to house we're a family we need to be together a lot even more as we see the day approaching Hebrews 10 25 says Amen. oh man I better slow down I'm starting to get excited here now this initial for this reason was all about what Paul was all about yeah I'm a prisoner all right I'm chained between two, two Roman guards all right but they're not the ones who are holding me captive. I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I'm a prisoner of his stewardship that he gave to me to, to witness to the Gentiles. Now, interesting, here's where we find a place that we need to pause and make a point regarding how to know the plan of God for our own individual lives. Now, a lot of the points we make on Sunday, we like and we appreciate so let me just give you a disclaimer here. You're not going to like this one. <laughs> but it's true nonetheless. Here it is. You ready? Yes. Pursuing the will of God will always be opposed. It's just that simple. Pursuing the will of God will always be opposed. Think about what we just read and incorporate that into what we're reading now. God called Paul by his grace. He gave him a stewardship of his grace for the sake of the Gentiles. And the stewardship he gave him caused the Jews to oppose him. They beat him. At Lystra they stoned him and left him for dead. He arrives in Ephesus and the makers of shrines to Diana or Artemis uh, opposed him and wanted him uh, imprisoned and beaten to death. The Roman magistrates opposed God's calling and even had him bound until he said, is it lawful for you to bind a Roman citizen? And in the end, even Caesar Nero opposed him. As tradition said, Caesar was the one who lopped off Paul's head. All of these human vessels were simply pawns in the hand of Satan. And they were opposing the gospel reaching the Gentiles as Satan is opposed to it reaching anyone today. And in Revelation 3, 7 through 11, now take note of what the Lord says to the church of brotherly love. He says, these things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. Our God is God Almighty. He is El Shaddai. Amen. And he says to the church, I know your works. See, I set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength and have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and or not. Many believe that's a reference to replacement theology. Come on. Yes. Come on. Works for me. Yeah. But lie, indeed, 
I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. In other words, they're going to come and recognize that you're one of mine. Because you have kept my command to persevere, I will also keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I am coming quickly. That word means suddenly or without notification. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your what? Crown. Now, the church at Philadelphia is only one of the two of the seven letters to the churches of Asia, Asia Minor where there was no word of correction from the Lord. They only received commendation. The Lord first commends them for their little strength. You know what that implies? They use their little strength. They used what the Lord had given them. They did not deny his name, which again implies that others did. They kept his word and persevered. And the Lord said to them, hold fast what you have, that no one may rob you of your rewards. Satan only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to steal our zeal for the Lord. He wants to rob us of the wonderful things we can do for God's name, as the Lord will reward us in heaven for those things. Now then he just throws in, which I'm glad he did, he'll keep them from the hour of tribulation that is coming upon the whole world. The church does not go through the tribulation. None of it. The church does not go through the first half of the tribulation because it's all tribulation. All seven years are the tribulation. They are the 70th week of Daniel, and we got to be out of here for the Antichrist to rise to power. Today works. Now, let's put some skin on this. You ready? When you sign up to serve in ministry, expect conflict. Expect opposition. Expect schedule changes at work that conflict with your ministry schedule. Expect conflicts with other life events. Expect attacks from places you wouldn't expect attacks to come from, even family. Now, it is true that when the Lord opens a door, no man can shut it. Is that still true today? So what's Satan do? He tries to keep you from getting to the door. He can't shut it. He can't stop you once you go through that door because God is for you. So he tries to keep you from getting to that place at all. And listen, the litmus test for finding out the will of God in your life is not the absence of opposition. More often, it's the presence of opposition that indicates you're going in the right direction. The enemy can't shut the door, but it'll keep you, try and keep you from getting to it. Now, God calls us to do things that we don't do sometimes. You heard me say we. Don't sit there looking at me like, what did you do or what did you not do? He's called us all to do things that we don't do, right? right. right. See, that's our free will and his sovereignty kind of clashing in that sense. But the reality is that's where Satan is often doing his work. And we'll talk a little more about this uh, in a little bit uh, or, or a little bit later. But the fact is he can't stop the Lord. Who can stop the Lord Almighty? When he opens the door, it's open. Amen. When he shuts it, you're not getting through it. Now, the enemy can't shut the door, but he'll do all he can to keep you from getting to it. Now, Paul mentions the mystery in verses 3 through 5. He said it was made known to him by direct revelation. Remember, he's an apostle. The Lord spoke to him and inspired him to write down the words of Scripture and revealed things specific to him and his calling in ministry at that time. 
Now, the mystery he's speaking of is that of the one new man, which in prior ages wasn't known by the sons of men, according to our text. Now, the word mystery is the Greek word mysterion, and it means a hidden thing. Now, it came to be known culturally as the secret practices associated with the cults. Now, obviously, Christianity is not a cult. Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is a family. And we are sons and daughters of the Most High God. Amen? Amen. Now, the biblical use of the word mysterion has been defined as a truth previously hidden from human knowledge and understanding, now disclosed by revelation of God. That's what mysterion means. A truth previously hidden from human knowledge or understanding, now disclosed by the revelation of God. Now, in Psalm 117, 1 and 2, Listen to what the psalmist says. Praise the Lord, all you who? Gentiles. Gentiles. Laud him, all you peoples. For his merciful kindness is great toward who? Us. Us, all peoples, including the Gentiles. And the truth of the Lord endures forever. Somebody say, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Listen to what the prophet Isaiah says in 11.10. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse. Who's that? Jesus, who shall stand as a banner to the people. For the Gentiles Gentiles shall seek him. Will we not find him when we seek him with all of our heart? And his resting place shall be glorious. Now into the millennium, uh, Isaiah's subject matter in in chapter 60, verse 3, he says, the Gentiles shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. Now listen, that the Lord was going to save the Gentiles isn't the mystery. That's not the mysterion that Paul was talking about. That's not what was unknown to the sons of men that was revealed to Paul. What was revealed to Paul is that he was going to take the two groups and make one new one out of them. One new man. From the two groups humanity was divided into, Jew and Gentile, via the blood of his only begotten son, he was going to make one new man from them. And remember, we mentioned last week that the order of offices mentioned is specific under the inspiration of the Spirit to identify that he's talking about the church age. Apostles being listed before prophets tells us that the progression that Paul will speak of in chapter 4, that this revelation is specific to the church and the church age, and it was revealed by the Holy Spirit. Now, in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all Scripture, say all Scripture. All all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, still is. For reproof, still is. For correction, anybody get straightened down by the word? (laughs) For instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be what? Complete, fully mature, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, the word or phrase, I should say, inspiration of God comes from a big, long Greek word, theonostos, and it means divinely breathed into. God breathed into the apostles his word that he wanted them to write down for our understanding and for the uh, profitableness of doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. Now listen, there was no New Testament for them to read at this time. 
God was breathing it into them. And the apostles and prophets were given direct revelation from God regarding the plan that God had for their lives. And they were inspired by God as he divinely breathed into them the written word that is beneficial to us today. Now, that doesn't mean that God doesn't speak to us directly. Amen. Right? Some would argue God only speaks through his word. He never speaks to anyone directly. Isn't prayer a conversation? Yes. Aren't there two people required to have a conversation? Yes. So when somebody doesn't answer you, when you say something to them, isn't that rude? Yep. Is God rude? No. no. Does he answer our prayers? The Bible tells us over and over and over that God answers our prayers. Yes, he speaks to us, but there's some things we need to qualify here this morning as it relates to that. Listen this morning. Regarding God's plan for you individually or me individually, here's what we need to realize. God's word will always confirm what to do and his spirit will lead us to where? God's word will always confirm what to do and his spirit will lead us to where? Now, nothing that God calls us to do is going to conflict with his word. Nor is he going to reveal things that are for the application of the whole church that is outside of his word. In other words, he's not going to say, here's a new revelation that is applicable to all things pertaining to life and godliness that we'll read about here in a moment. He's not going to add things like dual covenant theology later down the chain of history and say, you know what, now we realize the Jews can be saved by keeping the law even though there's no provision for salvation within the law. And that's why Paul said the law kills. But we're saved by grace through faith, right? The law convicts us all. Nobody can keep it. Nobody ever has. James said, if you offend in one point, you're guilty of all. In other words, you prove you're a lawbreaker by breaking the law. We've made the point before. We'll make it again here. Listen, nobody teaches their kids to sin. You teach them not to, right? But the little liars will tell you they didn't eat that cookie with chocolate all over their face, won't they? Why? Because they have a sin nature. That's the way we're born. That's why we need to be born again. Now, how do we know that God hasn't raised up a group of apostles for the last days with new direct revelations from God that we're to follow without questioning like this new apostolic reformation claims? How do we know that? Well, because the Bible says, say the Bible says, Second Peter 1, 2-4, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord as his divine power has given to us all things. There's the inspiration of Scripture. His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and what? Godliness. How do we get that? It's through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. By which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through what? Lust. Lust means to long for forbidden things. Now, we've been given exceedingly great and precious promises, right? Shouldn't there be a way to test those things? If somebody says, you know what, God promised me that he's going to do this for me. And shouldn't we check that against the word? I remember one time uh, years ago, Pastor Greg Laurie shared that a woman came up to him after church and said, God told me that I'm going to be your wife. Well, I think his wife, Kathy, would have something to say about that. Now, obviously, we need to be able to check the things that are said to us in the name of the Lord. And by the way, let me just throw this out there. 
We need to be super, super careful about saying, thus says the yes. Lord. Yes. Because sometimes we say, thus says the Lord, and thus he did not. <laughs> and our opinion said, thus says the Lord, yeah. or the Lord told me, or, and these types of things. We can check all those things against the word. Now, listen, years ago, even though I'd long been involved in worship ministry, thought that that's what I was going to do for my Christian experience until the Lord took us home. And then all of a sudden I got the teaching bug and I felt like God called me to preach. Well, is there a calling within the offices of the church of the preacher? Yeah. Or the people who are called pastors and teachers? Yeah. So I could validate that that call did exist. And I also thought of the where of that calling was Los Angeles. I thought I was supposed to go, we were supposed to go to Los Angeles and plant a church. Specifically, we went up to Culver City for six months and I was fully confident God was going to start a church in L.A. At that point in time, there were no Calvary chapels in Los Angeles. They kind of ended at the Orange County border and jumped up, started up again in the valley. I thought, man, three and a half million people need Jesus up there in L.A. Amen? Yeah. Now, God did not call me to plant a church in L.A., do you know how I know? Because we didn't plant a church in L.A. That, that's how I know. But he did call me to preach. At first it was in Tustin, then it was in Santa Ana, then it was in Costa Mesa. Listen, the location changed, but the vocation didn't. The calling went with the leading and the guiding. And that's true for all of us. And listen, God's word will always confirm what to do and his spirit will always lead us to where. And God has led us through these journeys. Uh, you know, personally, my preference, just give us a big old fat, huge building and let us stay there until you rapture us. Amen. I'd rather not move and move and move, right? Yes. But his church. his church he'll do what he wants we're along for the ride in a sense now I also wish sometimes God would reveal more details don't you more de okay what's next tell me the next step you said steps a good man are ordered by the Lord I made good in Jesus so tell me what the next step is now that doesn't always come does it but listen, we never have to be concerned about what he is leading and calling us to because it's in his word. It doesn't matter where the location is, we're to go to the world and preach the gospel. Amen. doesn't matter what your zip code is, you're to help those who are in need around you. None of those things matter. That's the what of the plan. And the what of the plan is always going to be confirmed by God's word. The where of the plan will be under the direction of his spirit. Now, does the Bible say that we are to help the poor? Yes. Absolutely. Paul said to meet urgent needs when he wrote to Titus. Now, does that mean that we give our money to every person standing on the road holding a sign that ends with God bless you? No, no it doesn't, because some of them are professional panhandlers, right? Some of them are drug addicts, and some of them are drunks, and I don't think we ought to be financing people's bad habits, right? So how do we know when to give the money? And, you know, it's funny because Terry and I, we've got some places where there's regulars at certain corners, and we always ask each other the same thing. Did you feel anything? Amen. Was your heart tugged uh, about this person? A lot of times it's like, no way, uh, no, not, not to that person. I, I, I feel like we need to just pull over to the other side and get away from that person. That's not somebody that uh, is truly in need. And other times it's just like our hearts are broken. And we have to do something. We can't drive any further. We have to help 
this person. So we can't meet every need. So we need discernment. And you get discernment by reason of use, by applying the things and listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit to direct us to the where of doing what is contained in God's word. Now the same is true for the plan he has for each of us. We need the word to guard us and we need the spirit to guide us. And the two will never be in conflict with one another. God will never tell you to go and marry a married woman or a married man. Because that conflicts with his word. Amen? Amen? Now Paul wraps it up in verses 6 and 7 by further explaining the mystery of the one new man. As he now includes the Gentiles as fellow heirs. He says... They're of the same body or being of one body. And he adds, they're partakers of the promises through the gospel. Now that last phrase is important and the association with the gospel is clear that the promises they partake in are specific to the age of apostles and prophets, which again we have already established is the church age. In other words, what we can come away with as kind of a side point is that the promises made to Israel are still for Israel. And the promises made to the church are for the church. And the church has not replaced Israel. Amen. Israel is Israel and the church is the church. Amen. God still has a plan for Israel. And for those who, who say, you know, modern day Israel is not Israel, I always have the same question. Well, then why are the promises to Israel still being fulfilled? Amen. If God has cast them off forever, and the church is the new Israel, then why, first of all, is there is an Israel? Because if God was against Israel, there wouldn't be one. Because when he's against you, you're in trouble. Right? Because he never gets defeated. Why is all the things promised about breathing life back into the land happening right before our eyes? We're going to wind up in a prophecy study here in a minute if we don't pause and get back on track. So let me just say it again. The church is the church and Israel is Israel, Amen. right? Now, Paul says again in verse 7, his ministry is a gift. It's an act of God's grace that was made effective by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we can confirm that claim through Acts 1.8. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So claiming Holy Spirit power can be biblically validated. 2 Peter 1, we read a moment ago, tells us the same thing. And thus in the parallel epistle of Colossians, Paul would say this in 1, 9 to 12, for this reason also, there's that phrase we saw in our opening verse, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord. This is what being filled with wisdom and spiritual understanding leads to, walking worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him being fruitful in every good work that you want to do. <laughs> and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthen with what? Who's got all might? Jesus. He does. And, and, and according to his glorious power, for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. Whose power? His power. How is His power described? It's glorious. Amen. Isn't it glorious to be used by God? 
isn't it glorious to see him do something through you or to meet a, and make a divine appointment and, and for somebody to tell you, how did you know that? How did you? Somebody just yesterday was telling me about Jesus and here you are again. You're telling me about Jesus. Isn't that a wonderful thing to see God at work? His power is glorious. Amen? Amen. Now, our last point is probably where most saints stall out. They understand God has a plan. They understand where to find it. It's contained in his word. They know there's work prepared beforehand for them to walk in. They know God's will and plan is going to be opposed. And they know what the Lord says to do and even know where God wants them to fulfill it, which is always in the immediate. It's right where you are. God wants to use you where you are. That's why you're there. Right? God wants to use you right where you are. Now, but the stall out happens comes not to the what and not to the where, but the how. How am I going to do that? How am I going to with my schedule? How am I going to with my commitments? How am I going to with my responsibilities answer the call of God? Well, here's the last and final reminder for the morning. Listen, fulfilling God's plan is dependent upon his strength and power, not ours. Fulfilling God's plan is dependent upon his strength and power, not ours. Now, if we go back to what we learned in chapter 2, that God is able to make people dead in sins alive, then we're not going to have any problem with him doing things through us. If we understand that that is the magnificence of, of his glorious power, that he can make dead people alive, and if we understand that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in us, then we're not going to have a problem with him using us. And the how is going to be a non-issue. Now listen, as a matter of fact, if we only attempt what we know we can do, we're going to have a pretty boring Christian life. Who wants that? Who wants to live in the midst of the mundane? I want to see God do radical things, don't you? I want to see God move. I want to have him speak to me and through me. I want to have divine appointments. That's how I want to live my life, don't you? Yes. Now, Psalm 68, 35 says, Oh God, you are more awesome than your holy places. Remember, the Jews revered the temple and saw it beyond the, the actual meaning that was encompassed there. The God of Israel is he who gives strength and power to who? Are we his people? Does he give us strength and power? Blessed be God. You know, I couldn't help but think when I read this in this particular section of Pastor Chuck. What an absolutely incredible example he was to so many. I was thinking of the last time that he and I sat across the table from each other as we were doing world news briefing and he was battling his cancer treatment. It was just amazing. His, he had just a continual discharge from his nose, so he brought a box of Kleenex. He didn't stay home. Oh, my nose is running, can't do the program. He sat across the table on camera and just kept his nose clean and just dabbed it as we were talking. And then after we finished recording World News Briefing uh, one time when he had to do it early and we had to record it, we got up and left the table and went across the street to the Logos building and did an hour of pastor's perspective together answering questions. And I remember thinking at the time, how does he do it? And then I realized he doesn't. And he would be the first to say, it's not me, it's he. He's the one. 
But listen, here's the thing. Pastor Chuck answered God's call and God supplied the strength and power. He still had to answer the call because, as we said, there are things that we know we're supposed to do and we don't do them. And sometimes we don't answer the call, right? We, we, remember, we is the operative here. Now, listen this morning, back to where we started. The problem with the fail to plan, plan to fail adage is that the plan we follow never fails. Because it's God's plan. And whenever we walk in God's plan, we walk in God's power. And when he leads us and directs us and orders our steps, we're going to see his power manifested when we put our hand to the plow, to that field that he has caused us to plow. Now, in 1 Corinthians 12, 4 to 11, we're reminded there are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it's the same God who works all in all. But... The manifestation of the Spirit is given to who? Each one. Each one for the profit of all. For to one is given a word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same, same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, prophecy, another discerning of spirits, another different kinds of tongues, another interpretation of tongues, but one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one, how? Individually as He wills. Let's focus on that individually as He wills thing and giving to each of us these gifts. Peter says this. Now I want you to pay attention to something here at the final verse in 1 Peter 4, 10 to 13. Peter says, as each one, each one has received what? A gift. Everybody's got gifts, right? Yep. Everybody's received a gift from the Holy Spirit as stewards or caretakers of the manifold grace of God. In other words, God has entrusted us these gifts in order to reach the world for Jesus. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God, or let him speak as though God is speaking through them. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Somebody say, Amen. Now get this. Look at what he attaches to this here, and think about our first point. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. Do you see the connection? And these verses are often taught separately, but get back to our first point. When you pursue the will of God, it's going to be opposed. And Peter says, you've all got a gift and there's going to be fiery trials because of it. You've all received a gift and we ought to all use it as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And while you're using your gifts, don't think it's strange that somebody attacks you. Don't think it's strange that there are fiery trials to try you as though we're supposed to be some stranger to these things. Now, Paul reminds us, spiritual gifts are to be used for God's glory and the edification of the church. And they're distributed among us according to God's will. Peter says we should use our gifts and thus be good stewards of them and not to think it's strange when we're attacked because we're walking in our gifts and the proximity of those statements is not a coincidence. 
Answer God's call, opposition will come. What to do is contained in God's word. And each of us have gifts of the spirit to use, first for the rescue of lost souls, second for the edification of the body of Christ. Now, that brings us to this. We will never have to carry out God's plan in our own strength. We will never have to serve him in our own strength. Listen, God's plan requires supernatural abilities. You know, there are people today who like to throw out words of knowledge, but it's their knowledge. If you're going to throw out a word of knowledge, I'd rather throw one out from God, wouldn't you? Because the wisdom that comes from above is first pure. And boy, does our world need pure wisdom today. So he supplies that supernatural strength. Now, where am I supposed to use my gifts? Right where you are. Maybe he's going to change your location, but he'll never change your vocation in the sense of your calling as a believer in Christ. Use your gifts right where you are. Well, I'm not sure what those gifts are. I'm not sure what he has gifted me to do. Well, the psalmist says that the Lord will give you the desires of your heart. What do you want to do? Listen, he's not going to torture you. You know, people have often said over the years, you know, I, I, just, I just know he's going to call me to go to some jungle somewhere and I hate bugs. <laughs> That's not how he operates. You know what? When he tells you to do something, you can't stand not doing it. You have to do it. It's just, this is the desire of my heart. This is what I want to do. I want to build other people up. I want to tell other people about Jesus. You don't have to worry about going into his plan of purposes, kicking and screaming, because he's going to give you the desire of your heart. What you're going to have to fight against is being tired and the conflicts and the opposition and the constant battles to get to the door that he's open for you that nobody can shut. Because that's what the devil can do. He can't stop us. He's no match for Almighty God. That's why John would say in 1 John 4, 4, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. I heard one pastor paraphrase it as, greater is he who is in you than he who is after you. <laughs> you resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Amen? Now listen, this is the general plan for us all. And again, the specifics God will reveal to you. And as I said a couple of weeks ago, you know, God can do anything. Do you believe that? Yes. Yes. You know what? And as I mentioned, if you can't sing, you're probably not called to the worship ministry, right? But that doesn't mean you can't worship. Amen. Amen. You're just making a joyful noise unto the Lord. Now, can he give you a voice to sing? Well, of course he can. He can do anything. But the likelihood is that he's already gifted you with something else to do for him. So rather than being frustrated and pursuing something he hasn't called you to do, just do what the desire is that he has placed on your heart outside of that. Of course, everybody has things. Man, I wish I could do that, right? We all have that. Man, I wish I was, uh, could play like that. I was just watching Jay, our drummer, and, and thinking, man, that dude can play. And Mark, our guitar player, Norm, uh, our bassist, and our, uh, key, our two keyboard players and these singers. And, you know, there's all things that we sit down and say, man, that's good. And I wish the Lord would give me that. So don't spend your Christian experience saying, I wish the Lord would have given me that. He has given you something. Use it. Use it. 
And don't say, well, you know what? My schedule changed at work. I guess I can't. Yeah. No, it's not how it works. That's opposition. Well, I'm going to be awful tired. Well, welcome to the club. Because yeah. <laughs> that's how we serve, right? Tired. It's been, our house has been crazy for three months. We had a slab leak. They ripped apart our, basically our brand new bottom floor of our house three months ago. And we've been living in a construction site. And uh, I was telling first service, you know, we all need the Lord's help, right? We all need his strength. And I, I can't even tell you how many times on 6th Street or on 17th Street. And I did it this morning from the front row during first service. I had a very short prayer session right before I had to speak. And it went like this. Help! Because <laughs> we have been upside down for like three months. And you know, your home needs to be a refuge, right? Yeah. It needs to be a place to settle down. But you know, what we've been doing for the last 72 hours is sniffing paint. Because they've been painting our bottom floor and we both got major headaches from smelling paint for three days and feeling a little cloudy. And uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking at my text this morning and again, I turned my Bible to Galatians. So I thought, man, I'm, I'm gonna need some help today. Well, guess who showed up? He did. He did. And that's all we need to do. Oh, you know what, Lord, I beat. And, and instead of saying, you know what, I don't think I could serve in the children's ministry today. Pray, Lord, give me the strength and help the kids not to see how tired I am. Help them to see how excited I am for Jesus and how blessed I am for the opportunity to serve them or to meet people at the door or help a car get parked or play unto the Lord or, whatever, or work in the sound booth or whatever it is we may do. It's a privilege to do it. Yes. And God has distributed to us gifts individually as he wills. Yeah, he switches gears and locations sometimes, but he is fully in control. That's the plan. It's his plan, and it doesn't fail. So let's play a part in it and follow hard after it. Amen? Yes. Father, again, we're grateful for your matchless word this morning. We thank you uh, that you do call us. You do equip us, and we're your prisoners. And Lord, help us to live like Paul did, captive of, the Christ, of Christ Jesus our Lord, and not captive of our circumstances, our situation, or the things that uh, seemingly chain us down. Help us, Lord, to serve you right where we're at, and if you change our location, help us to serve you there too. Well, we thank you, Lord, that the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. And we praise you and honor you. And we're grateful for the things you have allowed us to do and the work prepared beforehand for us to walk in. So help us to walk in them. Help us to use our gifts. And Lord, help us also to find out what they are through the reason of use, to see if that's what you've called us to do, to see if you're leading in this direction. And we thank you that we do have help from above, from a divine perspective that isn't limited in view and scope like our minds and hearts and emotions are. So we thank you for our time together today. Bless us, Lord, as we go out to the world and preach the gospel and give us the boldness to do so. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.